This is a podcast from Snagerikinovsk for Radio Nova. Happy listening! Good afternoon, you are listening to Snacker Ikenarsk on Radio Nova. My name is Mac and I'm today in the studio with... Melis, Audrey. All right, nice to see you girls. Nice to see you too. <laughs> Hide your excitement. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, today uh, we are all talking about sports, different kinds of sports. I will talk about uh, Formula One um, and women driver and you know, how to get into Formula One if you really want to do this. Uh, what about you, Malis? I will introduce the subject. We are um, talking about the battle of sexes because um, often women and men are um, confronting to each other and it is the case also in sports. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Audrey? Yeah. I'll be talking about like the history of women in track and field more with like regards to their appearances and mm-hmm. kind of the media caring more about how they look than how they're playing. Yeah, yeah. very interesting. So, Miles, do you want to tell us about this battle of the sexes? Yes. Have what you heard of it? Is it a book, a film? Is it It's um, a concept? It's an historical event. Okay. And it has been adapted in a film with Emma Stone and Steve Carroll um, very recently. Okay. So, on the... On September 20 of 1973, an estimated 90 million TV viewers watched a tennis match between the female sport icon Billie Jean King and former men's world number one and self-proclaimed male chauvinist Bobby Riggs. But how did the battle of sexes came to be? Well, Riggs was a former Wimbledon champion who made a fortune from gambling on his own tennis matches. Seeing an opportunity to make more money out of it, he challenged a 29-year-old king and 31-year-old Margaret Court, claiming that even at the age of 55, he could beat the top woman tennis players. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. At first, King ignored him, but Court took up the challenge. But unfortunately, she lost, and that day was called the Mother's Day Massacre. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> dramatic. Yeah, but after Coates' loss, King changed her mind and agreed to play Riggs. In an interview, she said, "I thought it would set us back fifteen, fifty years if I didn't win that match." And promoters called the match the Battle of Sexes, and it aired around the world during primetime television hours in the U.S. So here we can see that people like to see men and women being confronted. Mm-hmm. Once the match started, King dominated and big Riggs in straight sets with 6-4, 6-3 and again 6-3. King stated later that to beat a 50-year-old guy was not a thrill for her. The thrill was to expose a lot of people to tennis. And it was also a way for her to highlight her work of in like for equality because... As a matter of fact, prior to the Battle of Sexes, King was already an advocate for women's rights. She was instrumental in forming the Women's Tennis Association as she wanted to make sure that any girl born in this world, if she were good enough, would have a place to compete. Mm. At a press conference, she also um, stated, talking about the US Open, we are not coming back next year unless we get the same prize money 
the same prize money as her male counterpart. And she later admitted that she thought internally, what have I done? But it paid off as the US Open became the first major tournament to award equal prize money to men and women. Wow. And finally, the fight she started for equal pay in all of the Grand Slam tournaments took 34 years to reach fruition when Wimbledon became the last of the four to fall into the line in 2007. Damn, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Leading the way. Yes. What a queen. Yeah. 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 So it's just making a stand there, really. And then uh, yeah. trying and... Yeah. And it's the only sport where women and men are paid the same mm. amount of money for the same tournament. It makes sense. I don't see why they should get paid less. I mean, they do right. the same amount of training and... Yeah, you but know. some people say, well... Um, men are physically like uh, more advantaged in, uh, and so the, the the sport is more spectacular. And if the sport is m more spectacular, then people are most like most likely to watch it, yeah. and so it like it yeah. makes more income, and then they can be paid yeah. more. But uh, we yeah. men play very well. I yeah, mean, we yeah. have some ex excellent tennis players. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That made history, so why yeah. not? Yeah. Plus, yeah. I feel like it's a sport that equally appeals to men and women in terms of practice. Yes. Because yeah. it's lots of kids doing yeah. it. It's very accessible. Yeah, right. That's all you need yeah. is a racket. And even mm. like sometimes they play double, like one yeah. woman against another woman who is in team with a, a, a male guy. partner. Mm. So, yeah. That's pretty good. And now we are talking about Formula One. <laughs> and we're talking about it because Maelis had talked about this uh, Filipino, uh, Bianca Bustamante, 18-year-old, that is a, a race uh, racing driver. Yeah, she's, she's about to make history because McLaren announced that they have signed Bianca to their development program. That is to say that they're going to spend a lot of money on Bianca development as a driver with the hopes for her to become a F1 driver for them. And it is very interesting because uh, Formula Racing is one of the few spots where there is no gender separation uh, when you get to the top of the path. Everybody can compete. Uh, that's a, it's a good thing to know because I, I wasn't sure actually because you see so few women. I never yeah. thought about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, definitely, uh, they are allowed to compete with the men and it's great. And uh, looking back uh, in the history of the races, uh, 1958, Maria Teresa de Philippis was uh, one of the first mm. driver. It's exciting. And um, even if there, it, there is not so many women on the tracks, uh, you have to think that there is a lot of them that are behind the scenes as test drivers and developers for each of the houses you know, on the tracks. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll actually say that when I was younger, I wanted to be a Formula One. Uh, really, driver. that's not common. <laughs> no, I, yeah, but I was not common. I think, <laughs> but um, I, I always watched uh, a, a little bit of the race, right? Because it's it's pretty big in France. I feel. Yes, it is. Um, and I thought, wow, this is so cool. They drive so fast, and the cars—they're so nice. You know, it's like lots of colors and stickers and. Yeah, I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I am not a Formula One uh, driver, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, and <laughs> I don't even have my driving license, so it's not going to happen just yet. <laughs> so 
why uh, why so few women and why did not uh, didn't I go into this uh, field of work? Well, it's pretty dangerous, yeah. actually. Uh, since the beginning of the World Championship, FIA World Championship in the 1950s, it's been 52 deaths on the tracks during the championship or of at Evans. Wow, it's quite a bit. But the 80s happened just a few decades later, and uh, Formula One safety development boomed. And so there was safety for the drivers, but also those uh, who are on the side of the track, and safety for uh, the people watching, because can you imagine a, a car crashing right where you're standing? Right. I think you'll be barbecued <laughs> instantly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching some uh, NASCAR uh, races uh, yeah. lately, and and uh, there was a kid standing by, you know, by the edge of the track or behind those metallic uh, barrier and all. Mm. But still, it's impressive. I I I would not be so close to the tracks ever. No, <laughs> it's scary. So yeah, um, development of the safety. Uh, yet we still so many very famous uh, drivers. If you watch. Uh, indeed, Formula One, Niki Lauda in 1976 in Nuremberg, um, Ayrton Senna in 94 at Imola. Uh, pretty impressive crashes also lately. Uh, drivers having their car split in two. That was the last one, I think. The car split in two. It was so fast and it just uh, started burning because the exhaust just broke and mm. he managed to get out because he said... Um, the people on the track were so quick to respond. Yeah. So some drivers make it. But yes, the danger isn't appealing for the women. So I'll go a little bit uh, on how to be a driver. If you want to be a driver tomorrow, Audrey and Malice. Ooh, maybe how to. That's good to know. Yeah. So you need to have a driving license first. Plan B. Check. <laughs> <laughs> and then you need to have an FIA license, which is kind of like a passport. Uh, with your pictures and everything, and then a bit of a record of all the races you've already done. So you need to have gone through a certain amount of races, or like all the important ones, and you have to have had a good placement to be able to have this license. So you need to be, say, in the top eight every time and be consistent. You need to also have a medical check, obviously. We want to make sure your heart is not going too fast and your vision is excellent. And then it costs money. Mm. Oh, I bet. <laughs> so it's not for everyone. If you're poor, you're going to suffer. But yes, it's £8,700. So that's 118,000 knock krona per year, not for life. <laughs> um, and the better you are during the races, the more points you earn. The more points you earn, the more money you have to pay for your license. Oh. So I'll give you Lewis Hamilton that pays uh, £242,000 a year, which is over 3 million krona every year. Wow. I'm sure he makes a lot of it back. Yeah, I'm sure he makes a lot of it back. I don't worry for him. <laughs> no, um, but it's steep. And the prices have gone up. Driving a car, a Formula One car, is not that easy. It's not that easy because it goes very, very fast. Um, we talk about two Gs when you start the car 
uh, and about six Gs when you go into a corner or if you're breaking. So, do we know what a G is? No, we don't. <laughs> Two G or six G, it's usually something you hear about spacemen going into space wow. and, and supporting the gravity, the change of gravity. So, uh, a, a G, G force is gravitational force. I'll give you one first definition. It's a mass-specific force used for sustained acceleration that causes a perception of weight. Okay, that's a very technical. Basically, it's a force that pulls objects with mass towards each other. So, now we think about Earth's gravity, which is calculated at 9.81 meters per second. Uh, which we can support. We're standing today. <laughs> um, but those drivers, when I say that they get 2G or 6G, they're experiencing up to six times Earth gravity when they are driving. Uh. It doesn't sound very pleasant. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, it, it does a lot of things to your body. So that's why they say the races shouldn't be more than two hours because you could be uh, unwell. Also, right. Um, you have to think also you're sitting in this tiny little car. It's very narrow. It's very hot. The temperature inside the cockpit is 60 degrees. Mm. Um, the brakes on the car produce, when they, where they are in use, they produce up to a thousand degree of heat. Wow. So you're like on a very flammable uh, oh <laughs> situation oh, wow. there. Um the drivers have to keep their weight down, and I'm taking Lewis Hamilton again because he had um, he had a race in August or September, and he shared he shared it on his social media that he just had five days to drop seven pounds, and that's huge because yeah. it was you know the break. So during the break, they bulk up and they eat, and it was like yes. you know vacation time. Come on. Right. Indulge yourself. But then he's like, yeah, I got five days. I got over seven pounds. How healthy is that before a race? Can you imagine no. the, the mental state of it? Right. And then you still have to practice or yeah. whatever they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, I would be super cranky. And like, maybe you pass out even yeah. when you lose weight so quick. Are you then not allowed to compete if like if he hadn't lost the seven pounds? Or? Um, he would be allowed to compete. He would be not well taken. Yeah, uh, And also every single bit of weight means that he loses two seconds ah, during the race. Right. So okay. that's because of the speed of the car. Right. This so. added to the pressure, added to the conditions mm. while racing. Must be crazy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they said the cars are not made for people who are 6'2", you know, who are too tall. So it's really, you really need to be a certain weight and a certain height. Yeah. Um, talking also about... Reflexes. It takes for a regular human us, and maybe probably more than that, three milliseconds to react, and they have to use one millisecond to react in case mm. of something. The equipment they wear, they wear a suit that is um, uh, protecting them from the flames in case something happens. It's got many layers, and it's about 15 pounds in weight that they have on top. So when they weigh it themselves, they weigh themselves with a suit, so oh. they need to be... Really low. <laughs> That's just cheat. Um, yeah, not cool. So 15 pounds is like about seven kilos of uh, yeah of material on top of your body and the helmet. Um, muscle mass is still very important, though. 
And um, this is why even though they shred before a race, they need to keep their muscle because uh, if uh, if they're too thin, it's not healthy for them. And also during a, a race, one race, uh, one hour race, sorry, I have to be precise here, they lose a thousand calories. So really? You lose a lot. Must be a fun after flurry. party. Eating yeah. A lot. <laughs> right? So, th- so they have to maintain themselves and they have to be very careful. Uh, training is during the off season and they have focused then on bulking, cardio, strength. That's the first thing they do. They just put on the muscle mass. Uh, the drivers, though, they, the one that write about it, they say that they are also very focused on their well-being. I can imagine there's not much partying when it's race season. They have a rest, rest day, very important after the race, to recover. And then it's about uh, physiotherapy, acupuncture, pool work, cycling, cryotherapy, and keeping their necks strong. Uh, and I will take Kevin Magnuson, who uh, did a race in 2000, or two races in 2022 in Bahrain. And he started training his neck only a week before the event because he, he only got to know that he was going to be in the race. And um, after two races, he couldn't hold his head up. Oh so he God. couldn't race anymore because of the, the force during mm. racing. Do they ever just break their necks while they're wow. in there? I think there is a big focus on training that. Yeah. Uh, that's wow. very important. And uh, I saw like some of the exercises, they have like um, a silicone band around the head and then they have to pull in one direction and then they have something else pulling in another direction. It's just, <laughs> so it looks like torture. <laughs> but yeah, you have to train your neck. And finally, I will just say that uh, G-force impacts your breathing. And they say that they spend about 70% of a race in apnea. So they really train their cardio because they they cannot breathe when they have the G-force um, in a corner or breaking. It just <gasps> holds you. That was it for my little Formula One <laughs> discovery <laughs> 101. You've been listening to a podcast from Snakerikinovsk for Radio Nova 101.4.